Uninvisible is a support podcast that deals squarely with medical issues that present unique advocacy issues for individuals. We do not provide medical advice. Please consult with your physician for any medical issue that you are facing. Information and comments that you send to us are governed by our terms of service and privacy policy which are available on our website located at uninvisiblepod.com. The opinions expressed by guests are their own and are not necessarily the opinion of Uninvisible or the show sponsors. Any advertising that you may hear is accepted without regard to our editorial content. Welcome to Uninvisible. I'm your host, Lauren Friedman. And I'm here with my guests to bring you info, insights, and inspiration for coping with, diagnosing, and treating invisible illness. We're here oversharing, so you don't have to struggle with invisibility anymore. Okay, guys, I've cooked up something amazing with my friend Natalie Y. Beavers, founder of Angels of Epilepsy, and it's all yours for free now. Go to my website at uninvisiblepod.com and download your free ebook called Hacking Healthcare, a resource guide Natalie and I have compiled using not only our experiences in the healthcare system, but also with the assistance of other patient leaders who have added their two cents. From a message of empowerment to notes on navigating health insurance and your doctor's visit, this is an invaluable guide intended to make healthcare more approachable and to give you the tools you need to succeed. This resource has been incredibly eye-opening and important to us, and we hope that with it, you will see real results and improve your experience in the system. Once more, that's a free download of Hacking Healthcare at uninvisiblepod.com. Go check it out, guys. Thank you. All right, guys, thank you so much for joining us. I am here today with Brittany Sumner. Brittany is a naturalist, and she lives with a really interesting condition. It's called paramyotonia congenita, and it's a a muscle condition, um, and she's going to tell us all about it and how she discovered it. It's pretty rare. So, Brittany, thank you so much for joining us on the show. Awesome. I'm so glad you have me. Oh my gosh, of course. Yeah, it's really great to to have met you and connected with you because actually you reached out to me um, and let me know about your condition, which I'd never heard of. So um, it's really, uh, I mean, for lack of a better term, it's exciting for me to meet other, you know, people (laughs) with conditions. But um, this is such a fascinating one because it's got to be a tough one for doctors to spot, as we were mentioning before we started uh, chatting. So why don't we jump in from the top of your story? Can you tell us how you first realized something was going on that was funky and and what steps you've taken to control your health since then? Yeah. So when I was little, like really small, I don't think I really realized that there was anything wrong. Like I knew I fought, I fell a lot. Um, I couldn't always keep up with my twin sister when we were running around or we'd go upstairs and I'd be like, hold on, I gotta take a minute. (laughs) But it just, I didn't know that that, I didn't realize that was different, you know? And I went cross-eyed a lot and my friends as in, you know, like kindergarten and stuff that was funny to everyone. So people would always yeah. point that out. Um, but I didn't really realize like that, that anything was wrong with me until I was, I think I was maybe in second grade. We were doing a relay race and all the parents were there. It was like a field day and you had to take off running and run around the cones and then come back and smack your friend's hand. And then they would go everyone that game everyone's played. And I was so nervous about it because I knew I wasn't fast and I had a hard time running. And so I, my friend came and hit my hand. And I took off running and I just completely froze and like just hit wow. the ground 
hit the ground like a rock, which that's happened to me before, but it was just that there was this woman on the sideline, someone's mom, and I could hear her in the background. She goes, there's something wrong with that girl. And no one ever said that. I've never heard that before. And I just mm. got up and I was just so, I guess, embarrassed or. So, but like, it was something, oh, it sounds maybe. like it was just your body reacting. Like your mind didn't slow down. Like it was literally like muscular. Yes. It had nothing to do with like, I'm like telling go, go, go. And then my body's like, no. Um, so mm. that was the moment when I was like, you know, maybe something is going on, but I didn't really know how to voice it. Um, sure. So my family had taken me actually to the doctor before that, probably in first grade, because just little things they'd noticed, like me having a hard time getting up from a chair and stuff like that. But I live in like rural South Carolina, so only small town doctors. And they're like, oh, there's nothing wrong with her. She's just nervous or she just is clumsy. So she's like, growing. Okay. Yeah. 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 They just had all these reasons to why the things happen. And, oh, she has a lazy eye. That's why she goes cross-eyed. And hmm. so they're like, nothing's wrong with her. So obviously people take what doctors say. It's fact. And we moved on with our life. So fast forward is I'm in eighth grade. I played volleyball. I played a lot of sports because that was like how people thought I would get better, get less clumsy. And <laughs> sure. You know, yeah. Um, so I was playing volleyball and I had, and I was the setter, the one that sets the ball over the net. Mm. And I remember I hit, I hit the ball and I had a bad episode where my, all my muscles locked up and I hit the ground and this, sometimes I can get up pretty fast. Sometimes I can't. And I just remember all, all my teammates saying, get up, get up. The ball's coming back over. You need to get it. And I couldn't get up. Mm. And I was, and I just started hyperventilating and I couldn't breathe. And then when I couldn't breathe that then set off my my adrenaline and adrenaline makes my condition worse. It makes my muscles more tense and then it sets the episode up all over again. So then it just was this vicious cycle of I couldn't breathe and I couldn't move and everyone was coming over. They had to call an ambulance and, and wow. next. Um, and that's when, like when I woke up in the hospital, I told my parents, I was like, something's really, really wrong. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm, I, I know they said there's not, but I just, this isn't normal. Like I'm not supposed to just fall like this and not be able to control my body. Like it's not mm -hmm. how, like everyone else is moving after the ball fine. And when they move, they don't fall, you know? So. Especially at like, I mean, this is sort of a pivotal point in eighth grade too, when you're yeah. finally becoming more aware of your body for better or for worse. So yeah. quite, quite an interesting time to become aware of something like this, where your muscles are just locking up without your control. Yeah, it just become my normal. Like, I was just mm. like, well, they say there's nothing, like, different about me. I just got to figure out how to, and I, and I, and I come up with ways to, like, prevent it from happening. Like, if I kept moving, instead of just, like, sudden burst of movement, it would make it better. But you can't always do that, um, depending on the situations you're in. And you can't always wait for all your friends to go up the stairs, and then you go last, because you mm. just, like, go last. You know, there's just it was starting to become like unavoidable. Um, yeah. <laughs> so I, so they started taking me to doctors. I started off in my hometown and they didn't know, or they came up with these, they would like mention what they thought it was and they'd test me and nothing would be wrong. Or I, so I went from city and getting further and further away from home. And so I ended up in like Greenville, South Carolina, which well, is like, let me just pause there briefly to yeah. say, like, this is an interesting point you're making, first of all, that like living in a rural area, you didn't have access to the kind of specialists that mm -hmm. you needed to be seeing. So you had to go further and further afield 
in order to find a doctor who was able to treat or diagnose you, which is like, that's a tough thing, right? Like for, there's a huge part of the population that's living in rural areas and how are they supposed to get diagnosed with various conditions when doctors aren't educated in rare conditions? Exactly. Yeah. And I was, I was lucky enough to have, you know, a family that could do that for me. Mm-hmm. Like we had access to a car and my mom and dad had jobs that they could get off relatively easy to take me to doctor's appointment. But I know that a lot of people don't have that. So, um, that was awesome. So I ended up in Greenville, South Carolina. I saw this amazing doctor. His name's Dr. Morales at the children's hospital there. And he saw me and he did like three things. He made me do that hand thing that I showed you, which no. Yeah. So this is an exercise that you do where you hold your hands in really tight fists and then release them to sort of stretch them out fully immediately. And, do it as fast as you can. And when I do it, I can go from a, a fist to a flat hand really fast, but yours takes several seconds for your hands to unfurl because your muscles are tight. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, and he did that and he did some other tests. He actually made me walk upstairs, which I was like, yes, this is, this will show you because I hate mm-hmm. stairs and I avoid stairs because I cannot go up them barely. I'm like a robot <laughs> when I go yeah. upstairs. I go to one step, I have to wait, go to the next step, I have wow. to wait. <laughs> I don't know why it specifically stairs, but stairs hate me. Um, Interesting, <laughs> um, yeah. We did all these things, and he's like, "I know." He's like, "I know you probably heard this a lot, but I think I know what's what, what like condition you have." He's like, "You're not crazy. There is something hmm. wrong with your muscles." And I was like, "You do?" And I got excited, but I tried not to get too excited because I've heard it before. And he's like, "Yeah, it's called paramyotonia congenita," and he's like, "I've never seen it, but I've." heard of it and it's really rare one in every hundred thousand people and he's like so but the only way we'll know for sure is if we do a genetic test so he did a genetic test and came back and he was right and I did have it and um and I'm so thankful for him because I don't yeah yeah is that is that something that like because you tested positive for it does this mean that you can pass it on to children if you have them does it mean that someone in your family history has it too yes so they like a lot of genetic disorders it's usually passed sometimes it's a jet um a random mutation in a gene sometimes mm-hmm. it's hereditary um they tested my mom dad and sister because i have a twin none of them had the gene mutation um and so that means that i was just a random genetic mutation but yeah. I can pass it on. It's 50% chance that I can pass it on to my children. Right. Um, so if I had kids, they could have the, um, the disorder as well. Right. Um, well, but so. luckily you know how to manage it. So how have you taken on management of this disorder? Cause you're someone who like lives and works in the outdoors. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm fascinated to know and for our listeners to hear, you know, what you've done, like, is there medication you can take? Are there exercises you can do? How do you manage a condition like this? So I, at first, when I was diagnosed, they did give me medicine for it that could work, could not, it can't cure, it's not curable, but it could alleviate some of the symptoms. Mm. And for a little while, I think it did, um, but the side effects of the medicine were worse than my condition. I don't know if you've ever had your feet or like go to sleep in that horrible pins and needles feeling. I would get that in my hands, in my face, in my feet, and it all the time, and it was it was not, wow. yeah, it wasn't so not comfortable. Yeah. And I took it for a couple of months to, or actually a couple of years mm-hmm. <laughs> thinking it would, they were like, yeah, the symptoms will go away. They did not Um, mm-hmm. but it wasn't really benefiting me enough to, um, 
keep taking it. Um, mm. So I started just researching. I went down lots of rabbit holes, just researching my own to try and figure out what to do because not, there wasn't really much information out there. Um, so I figured out since my muscle disorder resides in my muscle cells, um, our potassium and sodium channels is what releases ions and helps you, um, your muscles tighten and then untighten. So mine don't work correctly. Mm-hmm. They either stay closed or stay open. So too much potassium, like if I eat a banana, it messes me up. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I, if I had a banana, like in a couple hours, I would be really stiff and not be able to move well or, or potatoes and stuff like that. So I've started to try and, um, my diet potassium in your diet. Yeah. I try to eat a lot of natural things. Like it's hard because, um, lots of processed foods have, Mm -hmm. have preservatives that are potassium based, um, preservatives. So I have to pretty much avoid processed foods, avoid a lot of, um, like bananas, potatoes, stuff like that. Anything that is high in potassium or preservatives, um, but I've figured out that my body really likes salt though. So I like to eat a lot of salty things and mm. carbs seem to be really helpful. So I've been trying to, you, my diet um, affects it a lot. So I've been using different um, eating strategies to see what works and what doesn't. Um, yeah. And but it I sounds like you had to like figure that out yourself. Like it's not like there was a, an online resource. For no, no, nobody out. helped me. Like, and they didn't even recommend for me to do that. Like that was never yeah. even like, you should do this. It'll help. Um, well, cause it seems I, like this is so, I mean, you're the first person I've ever heard of who has this illness. So I, I wonder, you know, like how easy it is also to like connect with other people who are, you know, living with the same diagnosis. Yeah, it's not. I wasn't until like two years ago, I found a page on Facebook and there's a couple thousand of us on the Facebook page, but most of them are international in Europe. It seems to maybe it started over there. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But um, they seem to have a higher population of people with, with my condition. And so we chat on there and people posted different like diets at work. But what's really hard is that the disease seems to vary so much um, from person to person. Everyone seems to have different management strategies. So and that's where it's kind of gets confusing when you talk to doctors because they'll be like, well, if they have seen someone before, they'll be like, well, the other patient that has this, this is what happened to them. And I'm like, that's not what's happening to me. So it's mm. just not enough out there for you to get accurate information. Um, that's really tough. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you've managed to find things that work for you. Yeah. And I definitely go like I hike I mean sometimes up to 10 miles a day and so you are like physically that. active just, it hasn't stopped you from being active <laughs> no I'm very physically active I just had to figure out how can I be physically active and not hurt myself which is though and I and I am bad I definitely have hurt myself but I didn't mean to like it, it's been a learning process so I know I have to take breaks I have to you know hike until I feel myself start locking up and then take a break and eat a snack I have I always need water. I always need a snack. I always need a break. Um, and if, but that's, that's been a, a learning curve for you as well. Cause if I recall, there's, you have kind of an amazing story. I'd love you to share if you're comfortable, um, about hiking in Africa, right? Yes. Um, <laughs> that was, uh, definitely a learning experience there because I've hiked a lot in the U S in the Southeast, which is hot, humid. Um, things like that and been okay, but it's an environment I'm used to an environment that 
I've learned to be in. Um, when I was in, I worked in South Africa um, doing animal behavior research in the Kalahari. And we took a trip to the Drakensberg Mountains where we were gonna hike to the second tallest waterfall in the world, which was advertised as something that was moderate, moderate um, which I do moderate hikes and am okay. Um, it's definitely something I struggle with, but it's never been dangerous for me. Um, so we went on, it's supposed to be seven miles in a, a loop trip. And we went on this hike and they did not accurately advertise it, did not tell us all the things that we were going to encounter, like that we were going to um, drive up to a really high elevation, not get acclimated to the elevation. Um, they said there would be snacks, but their version of snacks were not really snacks. I should have brought my own snacks. <laughs> um, and that we would encounter wind, sleet, snow, and rain. <laughs> um, wow. So another part of this disorder is that um cold really affects us so like I grew up here it doesn't really get cold in South Carolina like even in the winter it's not very cold but like really cold like in the negatives or like low teens hurts us and it makes some people some some of us with the condition almost paralyzed um if they get too cold so when I was not properly dressed um for this hike so we were hiking and it got really cold and I started having, and I already couldn't breathe well because of the, the elevation gain. And, and that was making me lock up because my muscles weren't getting proper oxygen. And it was even mm. the people who didn't have a muscle disorder were having a hard time. Um, right. So I couldn't breathe. I, I was having to go like snail speed. Um, thank gosh. I had one of my best friends with me and she was there being very supportive. Um, and I had people on the hike who were getting very mad because <laughs> it was a it was a guided hike because um, you go through clouds you basically can't see anything so they didn't want you to get lost or mm. fall off the edge of the mountain because it was like straight cliffs on the side um, which was also very scary since I'm prone to falling so right. <laughs> um, so they. <laughs> And you had to like pace, I guess the group had to go at your pace. Yeah. So they would like go a certain, to a point and then stop and wait for whoever, there was a guy at the front and the guy at the back, and then they would wait for us to catch up. Hmm. Um, And I'd emailed them about my disorder or my muscle disorder before I got there and explained it to them and told them what it was and made sure that they thought also that it was appropriate that I could go. And they're like, yeah, but the two gods, I don't think they maybe communicated that to the gods that were actually with us and so mm. when I tried to explain it to them they're like what uh, yeah uh and we couldn't really turn it says back. a lot about disability access <laughs> yeah they, and we really couldn't turn back um so it was either like mm. we keep going forward or you spend the night here so <laughs> yeah. uh anyway um so we get to a section which was not part advertised on the hike description either that's basically climbing up boulders for probably at least half a mile like you couldn't even see the top of where we were climbing it was just straight up rock climbing pretty much and I just like looked at it and I almost just broke down crying because I was like I <laughs> I looked at my friend Marie and I was like I don't know if I can do this like I don't say that a lot <laughs> like that took a lot for me to be like I don't know if I can do this um yeah. and 
I started like panicking, which didn't help. Right. <laughs> so we came, she, she and I came up with a plan. She's like, I'm going to go, I'm going to be ahead of you. I'm going to be there for you to grab my arm if you need to. And we're going to point to a spot and we're going to pick that spot and you're going to go to that spot and then we're going to take a break. Mm. And sometimes that spot was like two feet up. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes if I was feeling a little bit better, it was, you know, a couple meters, but it, I mean, this, everyone else, it seemed like it took them maybe 30 minutes to get to the top. It took me about like two hours. I think I kind of blacked out to be honest. I was, just, wow. <laughs> I, I got like halfway and I was like, just broke down to my friend. I was like, I just, like, I know I'm going to do it, but I'm just really scared. Like, this is the first time I've been like, truly like, I'm scared that I'm like, not going to get out of this situation. Okay. Um, so I did make it to the top (laughs) and I definitely might've cried (laughs) Um, for sure. Uh, so but what about got, like the other people that you were with? Like, I mean, I know you mentioned like they were getting mad and annoyed. Yeah. What is it like in a situation like that? Like, were you, did you feel like you had to explain to them all like, Hey, I have this condition, like, please be nice to me. Or did you kind of feel like you didn't know them anything? Like, what was that like emotionally? Well, I don't. So or were you too wrapped up in everything that was going on physically that you like you could, didn't have the well, capacity? Um, it depends on the situation. Like, I'm getting better about it. Like I don't, Mm. at first I really didn't like telling people because I didn't like to be treated differently, especially in the outdoor community because I, I like to hike alone, which isn't Mm. actually good. I probably shouldn't hike alone because people treat me differently when they hike with me and like, like they treat me like I'm disabled, which I know it is a disability, but I don't even like that word. Mm, sure. <laughs> it just sometimes it's just it a makes condition. You, yeah, it is. Sometimes it just makes you feel like people think you can't do stuff. As soon as you say like I have this, they're like, assume you can't do that. Mm. You shouldn't or you shouldn't do that. Like why are you doing that? Um so yeah, I have I do tell people in this situation we got to the top and the other people we're with, um they were definitely very privileged in in the fact that they also thought they shouldn't have even been on a hike with other people like they they wanted to have a hike just to themselves with the god and but they didn't offer that because that's wasn't it was through a hostel like that's not what they offer um and they they were talking about how they flew in from London or I don't know they 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 didn't even want to be there with us to begin with and um and so I got to the top and one of the guys just started ranting at me about how you shouldn't come on a hike if you're out of shape, blah, 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 blah. And my friend just looked at him and he, and she, she was like, you have no right to assume why she is going slower than you like that. She's just out of shape or that. And even if she is, that doesn't matter either. Like it, the rule of hiking is that you, the the slowest person sets the pace. That's the rule. Exactly. It is. And so, and and my friend was like, it's not even worth talking to you. So yeah, he'd like, and mind. I was, I was too emotional. Like I wanted to explain to him and like give him a piece of my mind. But I was at that point, I was just so happy that I made it to the top and the rest was downhill literally from there. And downhill doesn't bother me for some reason. It does, but it doesn't bother it's my muscles for you. as much. Yes. It's much yeah. easier for me to do downhill 
than it is uphill. Um, wow. So I was like, I know I can do it from here. Like I'm a hundred percent positive. Well, that's what I thought until I realized that we we're climbing down chain ladders um, half the way. So. Oh my um, goodness. <laughs> this sounds like a very scary hike anyway. It doesn't sound like it was anything like the way it was advertised. That's not it moderate. <laughs> it, it wasn't. It was not mm. advertised right. There wasn't even pictures of the ch- the chain fences or chains going down the mountain. So. But that's a, that's a real note to like companies that are taking people on outdoor excursions. Like in order to be fully accessible, you really have to let people know what to expect. Yeah, because, and I'd emailed them and everything. So I felt like yeah. I was pre- You'd done your due diligence for sure. Yeah. <laughs> um, I felt like I was prepared. I was not. Um, yeah. But that and was a valuable. I mean, that's a really great <laughs> example of it's literally not your fault that that happened. I know. And it's, it made me more, much more aware and more careful when I do pick hikes and do hikes, um, especially if it's one I know that you can't turn back or like you only, um, there's only one way out or one way in that mm. I need to really do my research or talk to someone maybe that's also has some sort of um, physical disability that can tell me like, is this actually what they say it is or is it different? Um, so, and are you also using like adaptive gear when you're outdoors? Like, do you, uh, I like trekking poles. I usually use trek. I like to use trekking poles because if I do trip or start to fall, I can catch myself and it just makes me feel really balanced and, Mm my balance just seems off in general. So I like to wear, um, shoes that are, um, like barefoot shoes, Mm -hmm. I don't know, like where you can fully feel what's underneath your feet. It seems to help me a lot to be able to know exactly what I'm stepping on. Um, I've figured out that that really helps me overall and, um, the trekking poles definitely. And just having a friend there, like if Mm -hmm. I am going up rocks that I can reach up and they can grab my hand and um but that's something I'm getting better at because it used to be a real struggle for me to admit that I I struggled so (laughs) well let's um, talk about that because I mean it sounds like your parents were along for the journey and your family was there with you early on um when you were looking for a diagnosis but I'm wondering how it's impacted the relationships that you have with friends and family to be sharing this with them and you know to to have to communicate to them what your needs are. What does that look like for you? Um, <laughs> it's something that I need to work on <laughs> communicating, communicating. I don't think people. we go into any of these discussions, presuming any of us is perfect. <laughs> yeah. Um, cause I am not good at communicating with people about my condition. Like I should be, um, actually I have an easier time communicating to strangers <laughs> than the people I care about because That's I mean, interesting. um, they know me and they love me and I don't, and I guess sometimes it's just hard. I have a hard time admitting, like, if I really think I can't do something, sometimes I have a hard time actually admitting that I can't. Um, so it's more like so, a difficulty with the relationship to the idea of disability or different ability, isn't it? Yes. Um, yeah. so like my family's very supportive and they would never question anything if I told them, like, I don't feel like I can do this. Um, but I don't tell them. I think because I've put on this idea to them my whole life that I can do anything, which I can, but there are some things I can't. And I just have a hard time admitting that because I've never 
it took me so long to admit it that now it's hard. <laughs> well, and um, I wonder also if it's that you need them on side. Like there's the fear that if you tell someone that something's hard for you or you can't do it, you need them more to be cheering for you and telling you you can. That's exactly it. <laughs> telling you you can't. Yeah, absolutely. I, you made a good point. I guess it is that I'm scared that if I do say that, that they'll agree with me and I want them to not. <laughs> I want yeah. So to it, at the end of the day, it comes back to you. It comes back to that identity. Yeah. Um, it's tough. And I guess yeah. that's also why I don't tell people like when we go on hikes and stuff, that's usually why I don't tell them before the hike starts, because I don't want them to tell me that I shouldn't do it. Like mm. I want them. Um, you want support. I do. Like I, I went on a hike in Lassen National Park, um, Lassen Volcano National Park that I really wanted to do. And I knew I was going to struggle with it. And I was with some very athletic people. Um, and I just told them, you know what, you go ahead. Like, don't be afraid. You don't have to wait on me. Like if you feel like I'm going too slow for your pace, it's okay. Go ahead. I'll like, you're coming down the same path. I'm like, I'll be safe. I'll have my phone. It'll, it'll be fine. And, um, so they went ahead and they made it to the top of this hike way sooner than me. But when I got there, um, this person, I guess, wasn't really my friend. They were an acquaintance of my friends. Um, they said, Oh, I didn't, Oh, you're here. I didn't think you'd actually make it. Mm, to the wow. top. And I was like, <laughs> like, thanks for the vote of confidence. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, exactly. things not to say to someone who's living with an invisible condition. <laughs> exactly. This is exactly why I didn't want to tell you about it to begin with because yeah. reactions like that. Um, but obviously my other friends were very supportive, met me, cheers me with a beer at the top and gave me one too. And said, that's great. So yeah. glad. So it's a, it's a mix of, it sounds like it, like the reaction from other people, it's like a mix of other people wanting to advocate with you and others sort of missing the message. Yeah. It's, mm. Cause it's, it's hard because I look very athletic. I look fit. Like I could do hike up a mountain. People always, always ask me, are you a soccer player? You have soccer player legs. Um, and so <laughs> say that to people, they just look at me and are like, you have what? Like well, what happens? Further proof, isn't it? That like, it's never anyone's right to comment on the way anyone looks or presents, you know, that like, this is like, you don't know anything about a person, even if they have soccer player legs, like you just <laughs> can't assume. Exactly. You should never assume anything just because of what I look like on the outside. Yeah. Um, so they just are like, is that even real? <laughs> I'm like, why would I make this up? <laughs> and it's tough too. Cause like, I'm sure a lot of the people who are like, are you sure you should do that? Or, you know, sort of naysaying can also be people who really care about you. But sometimes that care comes out in the wrong way, doesn't it? Yeah. Like when you're worried for someone, for someone's safety and you want to help them and protect them, it's kind of hard. Cause it's like, you want to help and protect, but also you want to encourage and what yeah. you really need is encouragement. And I don't mean to make it sound like most people aren't supportive. Like most friends that I tell are, they go, whoa, that is cool. Um, <laughs> and they get excited. And I actually prefer that reaction over anything because then they ask questions and they want to learn. And they're like, really? Like that is so neat. And then they always say, and I don't mean like it's a good thing. Obviously, yeah. But, um, <laughs> they, they always backtrack after they get really excited. And they're like, like it's not just, great, but it is kind of cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just think it's really cool because it's something different that mm -hmm. most people have never heard of. And just, and especially when they 
like if they've been hanging around me for a while they're like oh well I never noticed and Mm. and and I was but then they said actually a a couple of friends have said after I told them that they started paying attention Mm. and then they said we did notice once we started actually looking for stuff you told us happened and it just shows that you know a lot of times when you're around people you're not also aware of what's going on with other people just right beside you sometimes like which is a good reminder even for ourselves like to know that not everyone's always paying all the attention to us too if we're nervous about certain things it does make me feel better that they didn't notice you know until I told them which is meant I was comfortable enough for it to be okay if they notice (laughs) yeah absolutely Um, and that's when you know that you're around people you can really trust I guess too yeah and but my biggest struggle has been since I do work with students um I I want them to be safe and for them to be safe I want they have to tell me about their medical conditions so I've tried to show them that it's okay to voice your medical conditions by sharing mine so that they feel comfortable sharing theirs with me um which has been really, really really hard. (laughs) That's hard, but it's also such a good lesson for you too, isn't it? And for those kids. It is. I feel like they've been the biggest um, teachers to me because Mm -hmm. they've been so open and honest with me because I am their God. I am the person that's supposed to keep them safe. So I'm like, I need to, when I'm with other people, you know, we're supposed to keep, keep each other safe and they can't help keep me safe if I'm not open. They don't have all the information. Yeah, exactly. So I'm trying to be better about giving people all the information, even when it's really well, now you hard. can just refer them to this interview. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And then you won't um, have to like retell the story every time. I mean, it's interesting, too, because it's like what I love about this is that even though this is difficult, like the communicating about your condition to people is that you're taking cues from the people that you're working with, the, the kids around you, you know, and learning from them and being open to learning from them is so important, but it's like you're going from someone who requires the advocacy of others to becoming an advocate for others. It's this <laughs> nice circular, you know, it sort of closes the circle really beautifully in the sense that so many of us who live with chronic conditions end up becoming advocates for others simply because we know what it's like. Exactly. And kids are the best because they don't question it. Like you tell them and they're like, one kid I remember saying is like, so it's kind of like you have superpowers. And I'm like, yeah, I don't yeah. think I have superpowers because <laughs> I am abnormally strong. Like that's why my muscles and stuff are so big because they don't relax mm. when I, I am strong, like for what I do for my size and what I do. And, um, like I don't work out to become strong as I am, which is really cool. But well, you are working just, out. You're hiking ten miles a day. You're working out. <laughs> I guess I meant I don't like body lift yeah. or whatever it's called. Yeah, um, you're not going to the gym. You're going outside. Yeah, yeah. So the kids are like, "You're really strong. Like it just makes you stronger. Like maybe you don't have control of your muscles all the time, but you know you." are strong. And I'm like, yeah, you're right. That's yeah. It's I helped you Thank shift you. your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. What so, about, like, have you found yourself? Do you think being in situations, I mean, you've sort of touched on this a little bit with like the hikers in Africa. Um, but like in situations where you've, you've had to sort of like validate the existence of your condition to people who needed to know about it and just didn't understand it because they couldn't see it right in front of them. What does that look like for you? Um, so I guess I have, so 
when people are kind of, I'll tell them, but then people forget, like, they don't forget, but say they were like, um, I'm trying to think of an example. Like, because I, my disorder is invisible, um, my condition's invisible, they, people sometimes will ask me like, oh, why don't we go do this blah, blah, blah hike um, and just kind of forget that maybe I can't or maybe that will be really difficult for me to do that. Um, so I have a so hard it's time. People who know who maybe aren't taking your needs into account because they've forgotten because you've been able to do everything else. Yeah. See, we just went mm. on a hike yesterday for seven days. Or, I mean, not seven days. I'm going seven miles. Um, like, and I did that fine. So why wouldn't I be able to do this? You know? So I had to be like, well, yeah, that was okay. But I also couldn't move for two days after and you didn't see that part, you know, like you saw me hiking and then you didn't see the after effects of me just choosing to do that hike. And this is um, the chronic part of a chronic condition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so you saw me all happy and getting to do what I love, but you didn't see the sacrifice I had to make mm. to do what I love. Yeah, absolutely. So it's about so. being able to communicate that to people, which is really hard. I mean, I think yeah. that's, that's one of those things that like, if we were all just a little more sensitive and compassionate, it would make that communication a lot easier too. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, what about, I mean, you know, you mentioned that it took a few years to get diagnosed, especially because you were quite young when you first started noticing things and it sort of like got progressively more noticeable. Um, I'm wondering, given your experience in the healthcare system, particularly as it regards the way you identify, so you're a white woman living in this world, can you see your circumstances maybe have, having been different if you presented otherwise? So if you'd been a white boy or if you'd been a person of color, do you think your experiences getting to diagnosis would have been different? Um, yes, I think I was very privileged in the fact that I had a family that was able to take me to all these doctors. And I know yeah. that lots of people wouldn't have that opportunity. So I'm thankful for that. Um, I definitely think if I would have been a white male, I would have been diagnosed sooner because, um, especially around here, like, um, I have an amazing family, but if I, if I would have been a boy, I would have definitely been doing a lot more physical activity around the farm, helping chase cows and riding tractors and doing all these things that I didn't necessarily do as a female in the society or the place I grew up in, um, that I would have made my, my symptoms more obvious because it would interfere with getting things done. <laughs> um, so I think if I, yeah. I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but I, I really yeah, think that I would have, yeah, yeah, I think I would have, um, I definitely, had prejudices against people believing anything was wrong with me because mm. of how I, that I look so healthy and so fit. Um, yeah. You've got so, soccer players legs. <laughs> yeah. So they're like, cause they would see the doctor see like, me. And what do like, you mean there's something wrong with you? Yeah. You're perfectly <laughs> healthy. Yeah, exactly. See, she's a perfect eight year old girl. There's nothing wrong with her. There's nothing, mm. anything. And, um, and then even as I got older, I, I, it's almost like, I saw prejudices against, I don't know if that's the right way to put it, actually. Um, it's or just like prejudgments. Judgments, because, so 
Dr. Morales, who I saw, he actually, he was supposed to stop seeing me when I was 18 because mm-hmm. it was a children's hospital. But because it was rare and he knew that most neurologists didn't, hadn't seen it or didn't know much about it, he saw me until I was 25. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 27 now. So he fought to see me past mm. what they, sh- the legal yeah requirement yeah I, yeah. yeah I don't know well like, um, that he's a pediatrician as well so like he's a yeah. pediatric neurologist and the idea was that when you were 18 you go to a regular neurologist exactly um but he knew I trusted him and that I had issues with trusting people with my my condition so he he saw me and we had a relationship he knew about me and what I did and mm. um, he act he really cared and and most doctors do but there are also doctors that I feel like don't so much so um so finally when I I I he had to he retired actually that's why I had to go to a new doctor referred me to a different neurologist and uh I was really nervous about it and I guess I had a right to be because I got there and he I guess he pre because I know he had to google me like Mm. I I know it like he didn't say it but I could just feel it and like familiar with your condition him and his nurse were whispering before I went in there and I just Mm. I could just I don't know and so I already was going in there bad vibes and so from what he knew from Google, he prejudged like my capabilities and what I would be able to do. And so as soon as I got in there, like we started talking, he wasn't friendly and he told me, and I remember he was just asking about what I like to do and all that stuff, making conversation. And, um, and I told him and he's like, you drive. And I was like, like a car. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I drive a car. He's like, do you think you really should be doing that? And mm-hmm. I was like, did you just ask me if I should be driving my car? Because yeah. Dr. Morales is very, he advocated that I should do, and if I felt that I was capable to do it, I should try and do it. Yeah. Just to, but to be safe and always cautious. And like, we even played tennis together one day. Like he, he mm. met, cause he wanted, he, cause I told him I played tennis and he said, that was so great that I did that. And um, he was so glad that I was taking it, like doing things that I loved and not letting my, my condition prevent me from doing that so mm. he always in- inspired me to go after the things that I cared about and then I met this guy and he was just I would tell him everything I was doing and he was like you lead like you lead hikes like mm. he was just questioning everything and I was like the same thing that you've had with friends who didn't get it too who wanted yeah. to protect you and yeah didn't understand so I I looked I looked at my mom and I was like we're leaving yeah good <laughs> for like, you I mean that's that's something because I, I want to also ask you you know about your experience and in what ways you've seen our healthcare system work and in what ways it's fallen short. And like the kind of obvious thing here is that you were able to choose a new provider, you know, but that also your doctor had to fight until you were 25 for seven more years to be able to keep working with you because otherwise you would have been shuttled off to someone else. Yeah. And I think our healthcare system has failed in the fact that they, they don't advertise conditions that aren't well known. Um, and and I don't know if that's going to change anytime soon because if there's not research or evidence to back up things and help you understand it better. All money. <laughs> yeah. And people don't like, no one's researching paramyotonia congenita because mm-hmm. there's no money in it. They're not going to come become going to become a famous uh, world renowned scientist. But if they discover something about it, because no one's heard of it, mm. you know, if you cure cancer, Oh, you've cured the whole world and everyone's, gonna know your name Mm. but if you find oh a cure for my condition 
no one's going to know about it Hmm. most likely except for me and my you know the people in my community they'll know about it but your name's not going to be on the front of a billboard yeah (laughs) so it's just like people how do you think we change that what's what's the way to change that is it just to keep having conversations like this and you know getting the word out I think so I mean Hmm. that's why I'm doing this that's why I'm having the podcast of the day and I'm trying to be um, advocate more for invisible um, disabilities and just physical muscle disorders in general Mm. and I think like just being heard and a lot of people that usually end up making a difference for certain disorders like mine are people who have it like they go and they become I'm going to become a doctor so that someone who who understands actually researches and fights usually someone who who's been through something similar are the people that are out there making change for people like me and you um Mm. because they know (laughs) um but like we can't expect everyone with an invisible disability to go and become a doctor well everyone has their different path yeah Yeah. absolutely but the fact that you're also talking to kids about it like there might be a kid you come across one day who's got the same condition or gets diagnosed because you're telling them about it and you just never know do you no and I and and exactly I just and or I might tell someone and they think it's so interesting that they decide one day they go and research it. So it's just, I just can't count the times that I've just been to just, a, you know, the dentist or just my normal family care. And they admit that they had to Google like me before I came. And, you know, that's not really telling you what you need. To, I mean, it tells you doesn't give you a great deal of confidence in them to take care of you, does it? Uh, Yeah. I was like, I don't trust you to take care of me right now. And so it's just hard. Like if you just learned about that now, (laughs) are you going to be able to like look at a bigger picture long-term? Yeah. So I haven't figured out like people of my condition can't go under um, the general anesthesia. Like it's, it's potassium based. It can temporarily paralyze us when we wake up which, you know, would scare people if you were woke up and your patient was paralyzed for hours to days, you know? So, um, but like if an emergency happens, how do I let people know that? You know, I haven't figured that out yet because I can't even really wear a bracelet. Like a lot of people with certain disorders wear bracelets that advertise it, but like it wouldn't, if someone saw it and read it and it said my condition on it, it wouldn't be enough for them if they needed immediate action they wouldn't recognize it to be like, Oh, I can't do this for them. You know? So it's, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, well, the, the responsibility, this is like a failing of the healthcare system, but also of our human state in that, you know, (laughs) we don't, we're not curious enough about other people's experiences. Right. And like for you, it's something where like, you have to just very clearly be like no potassium, you know, so that people know (laughs) that right away, you know, or like no EpiPens, like none of that, because that's going to make you seize up more, you know, like that's the kind of thing that, um, it's unless people really understand, uh, it's something very outside of the box for them. And I think this is about, you know, this comes down to compassion, doesn't it? Like caring more for other people, being more interested in what other people are going through and being able to like accommodate, the expansion of our thinking, <laughs> you know, in that there are things beyond our imagination that are, you know, that, that exist in this, in this world. And, and this is a great example of that for some people. <laughs> it is. And it, it's made me 
even a better person like because mm. I'm more aware of other people and and try to ask questions and make sure that people are comfortable and because I, I don't ever want to assume anything about anyone you know even when I'm going on hikes with other people I'm constantly checking in because I don't know everything about them or or you know I want to I wish people would do that for me. So I'm going to do it for you. So, yeah. Um, and it sounds like you maybe haven't had that enough. Um, and, <laughs> you know, there's a good note for the people in your life to like kick it up a notch. <laughs> and, honest, and honestly, it's, it's, I mean, it's not my fault, but some of, I'm partial to blame because I, I haven't probably supplied some people with the accurate information they need sure. to support, to support me so but that's not the whole um, story there either I think that no. these kinds of relationships <laughs> go both ways don't they you know that like yeah it's a it's a your burden to communicate but it's also theirs to to listen exactly yeah and to ask questions yeah what about I'd love to sort of I, I like to close out my interviews with a couple of top three lists and I think you'll have some very <laughs> heart-centered answers here and I'd love to get your top three tips for someone who maybe is in this invisible condition world with us. Um, and maybe they suspect something's off or maybe they've gotten diagnosed. Maybe they've got the same diagnosis as you. What would your top three tips be for, for a fellow Spoonie who's going through what you're going through? Well, one that I, I wish I would have done sooner is if, if you do feel something off within you or that you, you're, do you just know that you might be different than other people? Like, and everyone's telling you you're not or that there's nothing wrong or you don't have this disorder to keep advocating for yourself. Like even if you've been to 8 billion doctors and they've all told you there's, there's nothing wrong, but you know, like, you know, for a fact there is to keep asking questions, keep, if you can keep getting them to refer you to someone new. And I know that's not always easy because doctors are expensive and, and insurance doesn't really it's always cover that. Role. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and then, um, but keep pushing and keep believing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because if you don't keep telling people, if you just eventually give up and you agree with everyone else, you, you know, you're not helping yourself, but you're also not helping future people like you. You know, we have the, we have the science now that people should, if you find the right doctor, they can figure out what's wrong. It's just that you have to find that, that doctor that's willing they either has the knowledge or willing to put in the extra effort to research and help you figure look out for your Dr. Morales. Uh, look for your Dr. Morales. Cause um, they'll fight for you. It's just, you gotta, you gotta find that doctor that's willing to fight for you. Cause they are, they're out there. Um, so that'll be my number one advice. Um, and number two, if you want to, if you want to do something, even if people tell you like they've heard about your, your invisible disability and they have these preconceived notions of what it's all about. And they tell you, you can't do something, but you think you can, you should do it. And even if you're not sure you can, you should try, but be safe. Um, <laughs> like always go after the things that you want. Maybe even bring if, somebody along or something for support. So you, you know, you're safe and back. Exactly. Don't do it by yourself. Um, mm. Bring someone you trust with you. Um, make sure that you're fully, you know, if it's something like I have where there's not much information and it's hard to figure out how to manage it. If it's something really scary that you're not sure you should do, maybe wait till you've learned enough about your body and your disorder before you try it. But like, once you feel confident and you, you know, 
how your body's going to react to certain things and how how to manage your symptoms try things don't be don't let your disability as a lot of people are going to call it or your condition um your superpower whatever you want to call it don't let it prevent you from doing the things that get you excited because it will if you let it so it it'll hold you back if you let it so don't um and my last one would be don't be afraid to tell people about it which is my biggest struggle and what i'm what i'm constantly working on um don't be scared to just to stand up for yourself and be like look this is what i'm struggling with this is my condition i need your help if you need help or just if someone's being ignorant set them straight you know because it's a learning experience and most people majority of people are going to be understanding and supportive you'll definitely get the people that aren't but but you're a good it's a good moment to educate them and maybe next time if they meet someone similar to you they'll be better um so that would be yeah beautifully said what (laughs) about i mean you mentioned you know making sure that your condition doesn't stop you from doing the things that that make you happy and that excite you. What are the top three things in your life that give you total unbridled joy? And you know, this, I want to know about things that like you're unwilling to compromise on. So it can be guilty pleasures, secret indulgences, comfort activities, but you know, three things that like, there's no way you're not gonna indulge in these things because they give you (laughs) life. Okay. I'll start from, I'll end with my most, most favorite, but potatoes are like, (laughs) (laughs) love it are one of the three things i love potatoes fried french fries stuffed baked potatoes you name it i love potatoes and i shouldn't eat potatoes they make me lock up and they make me fall but i love potatoes so if i (laughs) if i know that i maybe i'm just gonna netflix and chill all day i'll have me a big stuffed potato because you know (laughs) i don't eat I'm just gonna lay in bed it's sun um Mm. so I haven't given up potatoes even though my body says I should um that is one of (laughs) that's my guilty pleasure top three is potatoes um and I'm just smart about it you know I only eat them when I know I don't need to be running around from wolves or something I don't know Um, yeah no but you can you can assess the risks in a situation too where you can go like all right I know like you said you know you're gonna Netflix and chill that day then you can you can have those potatoes yeah exactly um number two is I'm a bit of I'm an adrenaline junkie so I like things that it's bad because adrenaline makes me lock up (laughs) I love (laughs) I love to do things that scare me a little bit and just get me excited about life. Like I like to try new things. Like I said, don't, don't let your, whatever's, um, condition you have keep you from trying new things. Um, so my most recent, because I'm a dream donkey, I found my like number one thing I've ever done. Um, I just recently in the last year become scuba certified scuba diving. Um, wow which I was really scared about because I didn't know how being underwater, like that much pressure is a lot of pressure, how it would affect my body. And um, so I just did all my research. I had an amazing instructor who knew everything in and out. I even sent him like scientific articles, anything I could think of. Um, I I went in prepared. Um, 
and and it was life-changing because it is the only time in my life that I've ever felt no tension like it's it's I don't know how to explain it but I was underwater and it's like you're fully supported by the water too so like yeah, yeah. I think it's that's why it's like I was suspended um there was no like I couldn't feel the weight of my muscles and I know that sounds crazy but it's like my muscles are like weights that I'm carrying around well, because you're able to <laughs> float and relax a little bit when you're in the water it is a different experience gravity has a different meaning doesn't it yeah and so it was just like I was free like I've never felt so free and scuba diving you need to be really really slow like the slower the better the slower the safer you are so I it didn't matter I could go absolutely snail speed there was no pressure to go faster if anything there was pressure to go slower and I was like this is perfect and I like I if I could have cried underwater, I would have, but then my goggles would have got all messed up. So I can't, but. <laughs> but also <laughs> so you're I, a naturalist. So for you, this is an opportunity to be even closer to other parts of the natural world. It is because that's leading me to my top number one thing. And it's nature. Like I could never, ever give up. Like it's my home. It's my safe space. Like even if I have fallen 18 times that day or my whole body hurts or if I just go out for a short hike or go sit by a creek, it's like it all melts away. Um, so anything that I can do that gets me closer to that, whether it's underwater with coral reefs or, you know, working with squirrels in Africa, it's like nature is my home, which is n really hard for someone with any kind of physical disability. That's a hard top into a thing to have because it's not always set up for people who aren't necessarily who aren't perfectly able-bodied yeah yeah aren't perfectly able-bodied well the world's are. set up for able-bodied people so when you have any kind of physical condition it, it's it can be a roadblock especially yeah. when you're not given advanced directives advanced instructions like this pathway might be a little bit more difficult like that boulder might be more difficult things like that so we need those cues exactly and even though it's a a place that's sometimes hard for me to get to or have access to I have to have it like it's what I need for my mental health my physical health even when sometimes you know it's like I have to assess the risk and sometimes the risk is worth it because if I had to give it up say I never went and tried to hike or do these things because the world and society and my muscle disorder told me that I shouldn't, I would probably be so unhappy because I wouldn't have the thing that I love right there. This with is the me. thing that gives you joy. It's my joy. And so mm -hmm. my, my dream, like, I know I do want to be a better advocate. Like my, my top, my next adventure that I hope to do is I would love to hike the whole Appalachian trail and like, but, but have it as a, advocacy platform like the whole way to tell people about my condition and and I love that sure. what a great idea yeah I mean and I know it's supposed to take six to seven months if it takes me a year whatever if I have to do it in month increments take a break whatever I just I haven't figured out how to do it yet YouTube or, I think it's time to start a YouTube channel <laughs> yeah um or I haven't figured out like how to do it safely for me yet um sure absolutely I, I would have to find yeah. someone who's willing to like who wants to be my 
yeah not ride or die for you know up to a year oh yeah <laughs> um, so but I think it could be really eye-opening for people and um and it would be a good chance for me to share about invisible disabilities muscle disorder like different muscle disorders and nature because I mean I'll be surrounded by nature the whole time so I can educate people on all three and so um all things that are really important to me in my life so so hopefully that's gorgeous yeah yeah well is there anything else you'd like to share with us Brittany um (laughs) really just I know that a lot of people listen to this podcast who do have invisible disabilities and so I just want everyone to know you're you're a badass like you can just do what you love and don't let anyone tell you any difference um and if they do they're not worth having around so um I just think that's important yeah and hopefully I'm going to send this out for my friends and family who I have trouble telling things to maybe this will help you a little bit yeah Um, Yeah. To understand where you're coming from, for sure. Can you tell everyone where they can find you as well? Yes. uh, If you want to find me on Instagram, it's wildlife Brit. So wildlife underscore B-R-I-T. I I use it as an outlet to spread awareness about environmental conservation and also a lot of travel because I love to travel too. um, And so if you want more nature and wildlife facts in your life and hopefully soon to add a lot more um, awareness about invisible disabilities to that too, you can find me there. So, Brent, it has been such a joy speaking to you today. I'm really glad to have learned more about your condition um, and I encourage everyone to do some more research, find out more um, and to follow you and follow along your adventures. Cause it's another great way to experience the natural world. If you haven't got it on your doorstep. Mm-hmm. And, um, I thank you so much for being on the show today and sharing your story so vulnerably. No, thank you. I really love doing it. <laughs> That's it folks. Thanks for listening. As always, please check us out online at uninvisiblepod.com and all over the social media world at uninvisiblepod. We love your feedback and suggestions, so please drop us a line via the website if you have questions, ideas for topics to cover in future episodes, or just want to say hello. We're all about relationships and collaboration here, so credit where credit is due. Music for this episode is by Sean Hart, who can be found at seanhart.com. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to podcasts.